Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the most innovative entrepreneurs in health and the moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm Nicole Clark, Startup Health Senior Writer. Today, I'm reaching into the archives of our 2020 Startup Health Festival to bring you a fireside chat with author, physician, and educator, Dr. Sandro Galea. Dr. Galea is the dean at the Boston University School of Public Health, and in January, he sat down with Startup Health's president and co-founder, Unity Stokes. They talked about his new book. It's called, Well, What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health. While their chat feels like a lifetime ago, Dr. Galea's words take on renewed, if not prophetic, meaning during these COVID times. His thesis is this. The future of human health is dependent on our ability to accept the role that urbanization, climate change, and other macro challenges play into health outcomes. Take a listen. I thought we'd start um, with your book, which came out uh, not too long ago, called Well, What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health. So what do we need to talk about? Well, I think we um, need to talk about health and not about healthcare. And we often confuse the two. I, I, I sometimes challenge audiences to say, you know, have a conversation with uh, your family or friends at a bar or a dinner table about health. Start, start with health and say, I was at a health meeting and um, put out a watch and time it and see how long it takes before somebody in the group uses healthcare interchangeably with health. And it's always under five minutes. In under five minutes, somebody will say healthcare when they mean health. Now, the question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to talk about health versus healthcare? And, and, and perhaps the best way of saying that is by a story. So I, I like the story of Blind Willie Johnson. For those of you in the audience who know the blues, you'll know Blind Willie Johnson. And he was a blues man, and he was born at the turn of the 20th century in Texas. He was born poor, he was sighted, but when he was seven in a domestic violence incident, he got uh, acid thrown in his face and became blind. So he grew up poor and blind and black in Texas in around the 1900s. Uh, he got married, but uh, then his house burned down and they didn't have any money, so they kept living in the burnt out shell of the house. When he was in his 40s, he developed malaria. And his, uh, now this is Texas in the 1940s, malaria is not so uncommon. And his uh, wife took him to hospital for treatment for malaria and he was turned away from hospital. Now it's not clear why he was turned away, but then he died. So the question is, what killed him? What killed Blind Willie Johnson? And the obvious answer is malaria. Malaria killed him. Had he had treatment for malaria, he would have lived. But when I tell the story, it's pretty clear that it's not just malaria that killed him. It's also poverty and domestic violence and homelessness and access to care. So the difference between health and healthcare is that healthcare is treatment for malaria and health is everything else. So when we talk about health, we should talk about health and not just about healthcare. And unfortunately, in our national conversation, we in invest in our conversation and our finances, which follow, overwhelmingly on healthcare and hardly ever touch health. So how did, how did you start thinking about this concept? Yeah. How did it emerge? Yeah, so I've, been, um, I've had the privilege of being dean of one of the leading schools of public health in the world for the past five years. And when I became dean, one of the questions that a lot of people say, ask me is, okay, well, how do we generate health? How do we create health? And I started thinking about it, and uh, it, it becomes clear when you think about it that fundamentally, fundamentally, to generate health, we need to create a healthier world. A healthy world 
and a healthy person are inextricable. And then you start asking, well, why do we not have a healthier world? And the answer is that we do not understand what it takes to make a healthier world. And the next step then is we need to change the conversation so that we can understand what makes a healthier world, that we need to actually invest in the structures that create a healthier world. And so how do we bring this down into practical terms in terms of, because we tend to, even yeah. just using the word health, it's such a global it concept. Is. I know health is universal. It mm -hmm. impacts all humans everywhere. Um, but one of the things you talk about are communities, our individual communities. Yeah. How do we bring this into our practical lives conceptually? I think in, um, in some respects it sounds abstract, but I don't think it's so abstract. I think we need to understand that investing only in a curative care system, in a sick care system, is going to keep us sick and dependent on care to return to being better. And arguably, we all would just like to be healthy to begin with. I mean, I would challenge everybody who has a car to say, how, how much do you like taking your car to the shop? Nobody likes taking their car to the shop. We want our car to reflect whatever traits you prefer, and you want the car to just work. And it should be the same with our health. We, you and I, would like to be healthy for as much as possible so that we can actually realize our life's ambitions and aspirations. And we should think of health the same way. And when you start thinking that way, it changes what you do. It says, yes, we want to have medicines to restore us to health once we're sick, but actually, I would rather not get sick to begin with. What does that mean? What does it mean for example, not to get Alzheimer's disease? What do, what do we need to do to create the technologies, to create the companies, to create the public sector and the private sector engagement to keep us from developing neurodegenerative disorders rather than focusing only on the treatment for those disorders? So it really shifts our whole mindset. So what do you think we need to do? Because it seems we're spending more money we do. than ever. We are. But in some sense, maybe getting sicker than ever. We are. Um, and it depends what metrics we look yeah. at, but it, that seems to be no, the trend. No, no, what it's, do we it's, do? It's, uh, actually, the, the, in, looking at the national lens, the numbers are pretty unequivocal. So just to put some numbers on the table, we spend 40% more money than the next closest competitor, which is the, you know, so the next high-income country on us, 40% more. Now, in some respects, that's okay, but our health indicators are worse. They're worse than all other high-income countries. So we've lost about four to five years of life expectancy compared to other high-income countries in the past 40 years, which means that we are choosing as a country to die five years sooner than being in other high-income countries, which is actually quite remarkable when you think about it. Last year, we had a drop in life expectancy. It was the third year in a row we had a year-on-year -year drop. The last time was the 1918 flu pandemic. So we haven't had a three-year year-on-year drop in life expectancy since the flu pandemic 100 years ago. So these are not good numbers. These are not good numbers. Now, when you look at what we're spending our money, we spend $3.3 trillion a year on health. 90% of that money goes directly on curative care. It goes directly on developing treatments once we are already sick. But we actually would prefer to structure our system differently. So we should really think about how can we shift some of that spend, how can we shift some of that energy to keep us healthy to begin with. So you're at one of the great universities of, of the world teaching, teaching mm -hmm. these things. I know one of 
the mantras um, think, teach, yes. do is, is on your, your Twitter. Uh, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that leading to, to progress here? Yeah, we, we asked ourselves, uh, what does a great university do that trains people to be in health? And um, the, the answer, I think, is captured well in Think Do. And, and, and very simply, our job is to generate ideas, is to generate ideas working in partnership with sectors, private sector, public sector. We have a responsibility to create the next generation. We have a responsibility to create the next wave of people who will be sitting in group rooms like this, the next wave of people who are prepared to engage in generating health for the next generation. And do means that it's not enough for us simply to think and must also do. And we see us as engaging in partnerships, again, with private sector, public sector, to take ideas up to scale. So a university does think, teach, do. And I think if we can do that, we'll be doing our job. I often tell our faculty and our students, the, um, the good news is there's only three things we do. The bad news is that we have to be good at three things. And it's hard to be good at three things because it's easier for us all to be good at just one thing. So how are you thinking about your curriculum, how, is, how are things changing to keep pace with the changing world yeah. we live, to adapt to even this whole concept yeah. that health is, is more broad than healthcare? Yeah, no, it's a terrific question. And, and you know, the curriculum in uh, health schools has, and the good schools has changed quite a bit in the past 10 years, and it should change. And, 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 and the shift has been in the following way. It used to be that when you were getting a graduate degree, and we, we, we have a graduate school, you would get a silo degree, which means you'd get a degree in statistics or a degree in epidemiology or a degree in bioinformatics. That has shifted to degrees in a broad range of interdisciplinary skills where we give people a fundamental core of knowledge and then give them the choice to take any number of paths. So for example, our students can get training in climate change and health, and health and human rights, in data science and in program management. They get degree uh, tracks in health law and policy, coupled with monitoring and evaluation. So students can really tailor their course of study, built on top of a common core that they all share. And I think that begins to reflect the fact that students come in much more differentiated than they ever used to be, and that they want to carve out their own individual path. And the outcomes, I think, bear that out. Just to give you an example, today, a third of our students from a school of public health work in the private sector. Ten years ago, that number used to be next to zero. So that's been an enormous shift in a very short period of time. So you mentioned climate change. Yes. And, you know, as we, we tend to talk about things like diabetes or heart disease yes. or specific health issues. Yeah. How in your, you know, what, what you're teaching yes. does climate change re- relate right. to health? I, I think I know, but I want to hear No, I, actually, I'm, I'm delighted you asked me that because I think you're not just asking about climate change. You're actually asking about a larger question, which is how do we think about what causes health? You said, is the leading cause of death heart disease? Or is the leading cause of death tobacco smoking? Or is the leading cause of death social isolation. Now the answer is, when you look at the math, all those three are leading causes of death. Just depends on your lens. And your lens is either a pathology lens, in which case heart disease is number one, or they are a health behavior lens, in which case smoking is number one, 
or they are an environmental context point of view, in which case social isolation is number one. But the lens really matters because if we said the leading cause of that is heart disease, we're going to invest all the brains in this room only on heart disease. If we said the leading cause of death is social isolation, we're going to invest the brains in this room in social isolation. Now, obviously, it's not one or another, but I'm making the point that it informs what we think about the lens through which we see the world. And let's talk about climate change. Climate change kills people, which means climate change is a cause of death. Wage inequality kills people, which means wage inequality is a cause of death. Unfair economies kill people, which means unfair economies are causes of death. So anybody who's interested in creating a better, healthier world, I think has a responsibility to tangle with these issues. Now, we can't do everything, all of us. We can't deal with all these issues all the time. But I think we have to see these issues as part of the health conversation. Climate change, urbanization, population migration, population aging, these are the forces that are going to shape health in the next 25, 50 years. And is your contention, it's not just about money. I mean, we're in one of the wealthiest cities mm -hmm. in the world here, and, and just even coming here into this event, there's homeless uh, people oh. everywhere, there's mental health issues that you, you mm -hmm. see, there's such a, a, yes. a need. How do we change this? What do we do? You know, there's mm -hmm. a room full of yeah. innovators and entrepreneurs, there's people upstairs, there's, there's people on live stream, they're, they're yeah trying to figure out mm -hmm. solutions. And it seems like, you know, we've got a longevity moonshot. It's devastating to hear that we're actually going backwards. We, we, we are going backwards. Well, this is a, it's a great question because now we're coming back to the first question you asked me. Because w whenever a conversation I have comes to this point where somebody says, well, then how do we do that? I come to what the title of the book is. We need to change what we talk about when we talk about health. If we can agree that climate change is a cause of health, of poor health, then we can agree to devote some of our brain space to thinking about climate change in the health space. And I think unless we do that, we will not solve climate change. If we agree that climate change, urbanization, demographic shifts, our migration, are causes of health, we will teach the next generation that those are causes of health so that they may be even smarter, believe it or not, than the people in the room now. 10 years from now, people be sitting in this room better equipped to think about these forces as forces that drive health. And where do business models play into this? Is, yeah. is how should uh, we be innovating around just the concept of business, business models, yeah. so that it can maybe help solve some of these issues as well? Yeah. The, the, um, I think of myself as a pragmatist, and um, I do recognize that um, business models drive a lot of what we do. And, and I think business models, that applies to anybody, whether you're in private sector, public sector, you, you're operating within some business model. There's a set of incentives, there's a set of resources you have. And, um, and, and I think we need to make sure that there are the business models that encourage entrepreneurs, encourage the people who are thinking of creative solutions to invest in ways to keep us healthy. I would like the world, the startup and health world, to think of solutions that keeps me healthy, that keeps my children healthy, keeps my family healthy. And, and I suspect when we stop and think about it, we all, we all do. And so in part, I see my job as trying to help educate our thinking about what that is. I am, I'm not an entrepreneur myself, you all are, 
but I would like to make sure that your solutions are tackling the core problems. Yeah, and when, you know, one of the, the themes here, and you touched on this a little, is the power of collaboration. Yes. And you mentioned even at the School of Boston University, you're, you're integrating different uh, courses together, you know, uh, how, what other types of unique collaborations do you see um, working? I know this week you're also speaking about art and health, yes. for example. Yeah, I, um, I have come to think that um, if, if I'm going to say that a healthy world and a healthy person are inextricable, you have to understand that healthy worlds are created through a multiplicity of sectors. And the art, uh, as you said, I'm, I'm speaking tonight about art and health, which is correct. Art creates the aesthetic vocabulary that explains our thoughts and dreams. And that informs how we talk and what we think about. That informs the science that's going to emerge. So as a result, we should engage art as we think about what causes health. Similarly, we, our lives, our daily lives, what we do is shaped enormously by the products that we use and the products that we interact with. And those products come from particular sectors. Similarly, our lives are informed by where we live and that's informed by governmental decisions about zoning and by parks, or on parks and recreation, by dr having drinkable water and having safe food. So all of these sectors ultimately need to work together in order to generate the kind of health that we're looking for. You know, th there is a, um, there's a problem in economics called sort of different pocket problem, which is that it's very hard to pay for something in one pocket from another pocket. And, and that is a problem that we face in health because it is one thing to say, it's one thing to say climate change is important for health when the cost of climate change is borne by one pocket and the outcomes of climate change are in another pocket. So in part, changing how we think about health is bringing those pockets together. It's creating the space to say, we need to collaborate across sectors to generate the kind of health landscape we want. So we're gonna open this up to questions here in just a minute. And uh, while the mics are coming out, I'll uh, ask, ask you a question. So if anyone has a question, just raise your hand. Um, you know, as a predictor of where things are going, you're, you're with all these students all the time. Um, are you optimistic? Are you, are you hopeful mm. about um, their evolution, where things are going, what they're learning, how they're thinking, what they're doing, what they're focusing on? I'm always optimistic. I think optimism is much better than the alternative. It's also a form of resistance against negative forces around us. Um, so um, I, 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 I think it is important to be optimistic. I mean, how could one not be optimistic when you see the potential that is held just in a room like this? And, and, and I think potential is a truly remarkable thing. I am, I am dismayed by the fact that we can be so much better. And, and sometimes I'm accused of being negative. I'm not being negative at all. I'm simply saying we can be so much better. And I urge us to be better from a place of love, from a place of actually loving our potential and that we can achieve more if we think about things the right way. You, you mentioned the word love. I had a really great conversation upstairs with, with a veterinarian mm -hmm. who was talking about the different, you know, most people that, that bring their animal in for, for care, mm -hmm. it's, it's focused on, on love, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, whereas in the healthcare system, it's, it's usually focused around fear, it's around uh, uh, curing something, yeah. there's some sort of problem. Um, you know, how, how, as you think about mm -hmm. something like love, yes. You know, that, that's a, a big well, one of the word. One of the unusual uh, features of this book, and what he's interested in, is there is a chapter about love and what it means for health. And, and, and I don't mean love in a sentimental way, I mean love in an instrumental way. I mean, for example, that if you're driven by love, it pushes you to put the needs of others and the needs of others ahead of oneself, which makes you then think of health as a public good. Once you think of health as a public good, you realize that we should be treating health the same way we think of parks and recreation and the post office and fire stations, which is a good that is shared and that paid for by our collective investment, which means that it moves health out of being an isolated sick care silo into being a larger concern that should involve all of us. I guess a question over there. Great. Hi, thank you. I'm curious to hear about some of the innovations or initiatives underway that help you continue to be optimistic. <laughs> it's a great question. I, I actually, um, the, uh, I could talk about specifics, but I'll actually talk, speak in a little bit generalities because I've seen a lot of ideas in, in this meeting it, itself that makes me optimistic. I actually think that we are beginning to see a loosening, a loosening of a narrow stricture in terms of thinking about health in a healthcare, medicine, sick care way. I, I, I'm beginning to see, for example, I'm constantly in conversations with colleagues in the private sector who are asking, well, how can we operationalize some of these ideas and how can we make them fit our business model? Just that fills me with optimism. And you know, my answer is often, I, I, I'm not sure, I actually don't know because I'm not in that sector, I'm not in that space. But the fact that you're thinking about it fills me with optimism. Well, there, there's a, a company I do happen to know about because they're a startup health company, uh, Sabonix, and I know BU is doing yes. a study w uh, with them. Maybe you'd share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, very briefly, I mean, Sabonix is, um, is in the neurodegenerative disease space and approaching that from a place of early detection, early treatment, and trying to think of innovative, creative ways for people to interact with technology in a way that uh, prevents prevents poor brain health. And that, to me, is, is exciting. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned um, the declining uh, uh, life expectancy. Yes. And I was at a conference yesterday with Eric Hargan, and he previewed data that says that's about to reverse. Mm -hmm. And to get that to reverse, it took a healthcare crisis in a couple of swing states to cause Congress to really act and make mm -hmm. it a a focus. What do you think you have to do to get other issues to become that kind of public policy focus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a terrific question. So yes, it is about the reverse. And um, the um, I'm often um, dismayed by the fact that it takes crises for us to reverse these things. And at some level it shouldn't, another level maybe it's, it's, it, it is how it is. The, um, I mean, we have had essentially years in action on the forces that have led us to this place in this country. And uh, it's, easy, it's easy to blame the sort of the current administrative structure, but it's, in truth, in truth, this has been administration after administration for the past 40 years, that we have been disinvesting in the public good need to create a healthier world. So if the fact that we should be ashamed of ourselves, that we've had this year-on-year -year drop in life expectancy, pushes us now to a 
an embrace of some things that need to be done that is for the good and the next, and next generation will benefit from it. Thank you. Somebody else have another question? No? Raise your hand if you do. I'll, I'll keep going. If, just raise your hand. It's hard to see up here. Okay. Um, so there's, there's right there. Somebody's, somebody's waving over there. Okay, great. Dr. Galeo, hi, uh, Umer Shah, uh, Harris County Public Health, the mm -hmm. County Health Department in Houston. Hi, uh, great, to, great to see, you, to see again, you again, and fantastic talk. Uh, thank you, Unity, for this uh, great talk to bring public health to the spectrum. What I wanted to ask, really, is the question around innovation technology and population health uh, and that government space that oftentimes public-private partnership has, you know, strange nomenclature and understanding to a lot of different Folks, how would you characterize public-private partnership when we're really looking at health innovation and trying to improve the health of communities across the country? Yeah, and uh, you know, Dr. Shah is asking this, of course, is um, himself been a, in, a leader in innovating in this space from the public sector for many years. The, um, you know, the very nature of the term public-private partnership implies that there is a dichotomy, that there are these different sectors, and the fact that they're coming together, it's something that's exceptional. I suppose I would like us to get to a world where we don't even need the term because it is obvious that you have multi-sectoral partnerships to achieve the kind of ends we need to achieve. If, if, if one understands the argument, if one believes the argument that a healthy world and healthy people are inseparable, if one buys that argument, it then becomes self-evident that you need multiple sectors that create a healthy world because it's obvious a healthy world is not created by any one sector. It requires the economic sector, it requires housing sector, it requires the parks and recreation sector, it requires the food sector. So once you understand that, then you realize that you can have nothing without partnerships. So public-private partnerships represent our effort to bridge that gap right now. I would hope that in future, that gap doesn't even exist. Thank you. And is this gonna happen city by city, or is it possible yeah. to do this at it's global a, scale? Or? It's a good question. I think it is possible to happen in global scale, but I think cities have been the engine of innovation in, in, uh, in this. And you know, cities are a dynamic, exciting space right now. And they're a dynamic, exciting space in the US, but they also are globally. I mean, we haven't talked global. Let's talk global for a second. The, um, the, the world is emerging very quickly. The world is changing very quickly. I was just in Hong Kong last week. And um, in, uh, you know, if, if I were to put, to gamble on where innovative ideas are coming, you look at cities in Asia and cities in Africa where the majority of the world's population is going to be living very quickly. Um, these represent engines of innovation and thought. So I think there are enormous opportunities in cities. In some respects, cities are large, but they're also self-contained, which create opportunities for innovative leadership to try out experiments and they are pace setting for the rest of the world. So can we see smaller scale, urban scale innovations that then go global? Absolutely. If anyone has a question, just raise it high because it's kind of hard to see. Um, let's talk about the future just for a, a minute while yeah. if anyone has another question. Um, predictions, where, where are things going? Is it, are we gonna continue to see a decline? Um, you know, there yeah. seems to be a lot of hate in the world right now. There is, there is, but, but no, no, I actually think we're gonna get better. I think, I think we are going to 
reverse declines, and I think we are going to embrace these ideas and move them forward. One, one of the, uh, the most delightful um, reactions I've gotten to uh, this book has been by people who are saying, well, everything you're saying in this book is obvious. And um, that makes me very happy because it means that um, these ideas are at some level intuitive. It doesn't mean that, that people in multiple sectors know exactly how to implement them, then that's okay, because I, I'm optimistic that um, there are enough smart people who will figure out ways to operationalize these ideas given enough time. So one thing I wanted to, to ask you about too is um, maybe wisdom to share with entrepreneurs, innovators, or investors um, on what they should be focusing on now. Mm -hmm. um, what, what can we all do to move the dial here? Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I would go to, I would go to um, first principles. And by first principles, I mean, what do people want? People want to be healthy and people want, people want the world around them to create that health. I think there is enormous opportunity in the space that creates a healthy world that ultimately generates health returns for individuals. And uh, that means moving beyond thinking just about the medications that we take when we get sick, moving beyond the doctors and nurses. By the way, all that is important. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm simply saying that that's just part of a large set of forces. That, so I, I'm urging looking a little bit outside of the typical lens, looking at a way in which we can invest in the other sectors around us that also generate health. So we just have a, a, a minute left here. Um, I wanted you to come up with a challenge for us. Uh, mm -hmm. If you were to wave a, a magic wand and, and we were all focusing um, on one thing or one area or one community solution or something that would make the most impact to solving some of these big biggest public health challenges, um, yeah. what would that wish be? Yeah, I'll, um, I, I, I'll, I'll answer that with a, with a quick story. The, um, you know, in my, in my current job, I'm quite busy, so I don't have time for a pet, so I, I have a goldfish, and I really care for my goldfish. That's a pet? Come it's on. a pet, but you know, I, I would like a Labrador who loves me unconditionally, but I don't have time to deal with them. <laughs> so I have goldfish in a bowl, and I want them to be healthy. And, um, you know, I have these little goldfish swimming around, and uh, I say to them, I want you to swim around your bowl clockwise 10 times, counterclockwise 10 times every day to get exercise. And when I feed you a little flaky food, don't eat too much so you don't get fat. And um, when you have goldfish sex, have safe goldfish sex. And when they're sick, I get them the best possible goldfish doctor. And recently, despite doing all that, my goldfish still died. And I said, why did my goldfish die? They exercised, they ate well, they saw a doctor, they had safe sex. And the reason they died, of course, I realized, is because I forgot to change their water. So my challenge to everybody here is, I would argue that because you're here at a meeting called Startup Health, you're spending a lot of your time thinking about the exercise, the safe sex, the eating properly, and the doctor. And I would urge you all to think about the water. Water. All right. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Dean Galea. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. At Startup Health, we're committed to keeping our finger on the pulse of health innovation. More than that, we invest in entrepreneurs who are committed to achieving health moonshots. Our growing army of health transformers is global, with more than 335 companies, 
from over 25 countries. To read more about the inspiring women and men in Startup Health, go to startuphealth.com and click on content. Thanks for joining me. Until next time.